What is? What is? What is? What is biblical counseling? Biblical counseling will grow you from brokenness to wholeness. The light bulbs are going off in my head. <laughs> this is like deep. I just haven't thought of it that way. It's mind blowing to me. I don't know if I've ever had anybody put it that plainly to me before. All this time I've been going to church, this never resonated with me. This is Transformed. And now your host, Assistant Professor of Biblical Counseling at the Masters University and Certified Biblical Counselor, Dr. Greg Gifford. Welcome back to Transformed. My name is Dr. Greg Gifford, and I have the privilege of being your host. We've been going through a series that has been so meaningful to me. I hope you have found value in it as well. And we have been answering the question, what makes a man a man and not a woman? My attempt has been to approach this from a lens of biblical masculinity. What, what are the character traits the Bible would describe for men? The first one I said was men are courageous. Men are bold. Men are confident because they trust the Lord and they know who they are in Christ. A cowardly man is unmanly. The second one I said is purity. Men are to conduct themselves with purity. There were multiple emphases that I demonstrated how men are specifically called to be pure and to treat women with purity. An unmanly man is an impure man. Number three, honorable to women, whatever that looks like. So it corresponds to the relationship that you have with that woman. You treat her as a sister. You treat her as a mother, but you respect her in the end. A godly man is a man who acts in an honorable way to women. An unmanly man is dishonorable to women. The fourth was being proactive versus being passive, taking initiative, doing what God expects of you. No one has to micromanage you to do so. You have your own self-starting drive to honor the Lord and to follow his call for your life. Last episode, we talked about gentleness. I showed you how a dad is called not to anger his children and a husband is called not to be harsh with his wife. A man who is godly is a gentle man, a man who lacks harshness and represents the very heart of Christ. Lastly today, this is our sixth character trait. It will be that of hardworking. A biblical man is a hardworking man. Uh, That's going to stand in contrast to lazy. So what I mean by hardworking is not workaholic. Let's not equate the two, a workaholic By that, I mean someone that overworks, they refuse to take time off, they find their identity in what they do. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that a man who is a godly man sees that work is a good gift from the Lord and engages in it as an act of worship. So recall back to Genesis. Adam, and Adam specifically, was tasked with responsibilities before the fall. Those responsibilities entailed some type of gardening, some type of dominion that is exercised over the animal kingdom. In the results of the fall, what takes place is Adam would now experience futility in his work, but his work is still good. Unfortunately, thorns and thistles, the sweat of his brow, work can be futile at times. We've experienced this inevitably. You've worked hard on something. Your computer crashes and instantaneously you've lost three hours worth of work. That's futility in your work. But yet work is something that brings dignity, something that helps you fulfill who God has made you to be as a man. 
work is good, futility is bad. So we don't want to take Genesis as an account for why we should all have a continual Sabbath rest. We should see that God has made men to work. And part of what a man is to do is to be a man who works and works hard. I want to turn your attention to a couple of other passages. Let's go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. You may recall this passage because this passage, Paul is addressing a very kind and benevolent church. They were so kind that people were taking advantage of their generosity. That's when you know you're kind, when people are tempted to exploit your kindness. This is what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Think of the great accusation, the the great seriousness that Paul brings here. If someone is being lazy in the church, that they are to be avoided. You yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, verse 7, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Paul is saying, look, a lazy person, that's idleness here. A lazy person is to actually be rebuked. He will say that toward the end of this passage as well. Do not regard him as an enemy, verse 15, but warn him as a brother. Rebuke the lazy person and remember that Paul set an example of hard work, so much so that he was self-supporting. Think of this, self-supporting so he was not a burden to them. One of the calls of hard work is that you would be a giver and not a taker. That's partly why thievery is so wrong, because thievery is you not working hard, but rather you taking from the hard work of others, Ephesians chapter 6. So let the thief no longer steal, but rather, do you remember what it says, Ephesians chapter 4? But rather let him labor so that he may have to share with those in need. When you are a thief, you're taking from the hard work of others. Whenever you are working hard, it is not for your own interest only, but it is also for the good of others. So why does the idle person need to be rebuked in the same way it's why does the thief need to be rebuked? Because you are depending on the hard work of others when you yourself should be working hard. He goes on to say, That if a person is unwilling to work, neither should they eat. Verse 10, no work, no food. It's a very self-correcting problem. If you don't work hard, you should experience the natural consequences of what that looks like. No one should bail you out of that. If you are idle and you are lazy and someone bails you out of your idleness and your laziness, they're enabling it, not helping it. That principle is going to be true. So brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Verse 13, this is the responsibility that he asks. What is the good? Work quietly, earn your own living. Verse 12, men should feel an impulse and a compulsion to work quietly and to earn their own living. To eat their own bread, you could also say. I am not dependent on someone else to provide for me as a man. I see a compulsion or I feel a compulsion to provide for myself. What takes place as a man continues to grow is that the Lord expands that influence so much so 
that he's not only providing for himself, but he begins to provide for others. So let's go over to 1 Timothy. Go to chapter 5. And as you're turning there, this is why you and I feel that there is something unnatural when we see a mid-20-something-year-old man working part-time, kind of putzing around, living at the house, not in school, no meaningful vocation. His parents are providing for him. He's borrowing their cars. He's on their health insurance. Inwardly, we say, man, there's something wrong about that. What's wrong about that is that mid-20-something-year-old man that's putzing around the house is acting unmanly. He should be working hard and providing for himself. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. It's, it's low-hanging fruit. If you can't provide for yourself as a man, there's something off about that. Now, there are going to be exceptions, things where you know work injuries actual disabilities that prohibit a man from being able to work in the way that he would like to. But yet, you'll notice that even when there are injuries, even whenever there are things that prohibit a man from working the way he would like to, that does not prevent him from working at all. He's going to adapt to other means of being able to work. So maybe he's not fully bodied like he would want to be. Maybe he has a back injury that prevents him from working in certain ways, but he's still able to work. So that's the principle. You can work and you should work. And even if there's an injury that changes the way you work, as a man, we feel a responsibility to work. So as you do that, you begin to provide for yourself and then you begin to provide for others. First Timothy chapter five, Paul gives instructions for the way that a widow should be cared for. And he says, verse four, if a widow has children or grandchildren, Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. If you have a grandmother and grandfather has passed, she is genuinely a widow, then you as a grandchild feel a compulsion to care for her. Or you as child of mom and dad has passed, you have a compulsion and there should be an impulse to care for her. But in chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says to Timothy, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is spoken in the context of an adult child caring for a parent that as men, what takes place is we no longer have only an obligation to provide for our individual selves, but for that of our family. Now, I'm not going to build too much of a theology off of the pronouns here, he and also his household, but there are masculine terms that are used here. So it seems like a fair translation to say he instead of she or he instead of they. But a man feels a burden and a responsibility to ensure that his family is cared for. In the end, what I'm hoping you're seeing is that hard work is representative to be a man with a good work ethic. You're hardworking as a character trait. So we're going to take a short commercial break. When we come back, I'm going to continue with this idea, and then I'm going to give practical considerations for men and for parents of men. We'll be right back. Alrighty, well, it is time to take this quick break. Hope you're enjoying this episode on Biblical Masculinity. Hope you're enjoying this series on Biblical Masculinity. We'll be back with Dr. Greg Gifford in just a moment. But before we do, I want to recommend a resource, a book that will literally 
knock your socks off. Okay, it's not going to literally knock your socks off, but it will make an impact on your life. It's called From Pride to Humility, and it's written by Stuart Scott. It's available on our website at transformed.org. You can pick it up right now in the Transformed store. In the book, Scott writes, quote, Pride loves itself, and it's tempted for this reason to take over other areas of our lives where we yield ourselves to it. It's profound. It is. It's really profound. And the whole book is rather profound. So if you want to take the next step in your personal growth, I would recommend From Pride to Humility by Stuart Scott. Head over to transform.org, check out the store and get your hands on this book right now. But hey, there's more. While you're there at transform.org, I do want to ask you that if you would maybe consider joining us in becoming a gospel partner. We would really love it if you would join us because your support helps us to produce Transformed and all of our other resources. As you know, it costs time and money to do that and create content. It's not cheap, it's not easy, and we rely on your support to keep it going. So head over to transform.org and maybe get the answers to any questions you might have on becoming a gospel partner. Now, something else quickly, if you have ever considered and thought about becoming a biblical counselor yourself, because let's face it, most churches do not have biblical counseling ministries and they are needed, desperately needed all over the country. And if you've considered becoming a biblical counselor, first of all, God bless you. Thank you for that. And we would love to help you get started in your journey to becoming a biblical counselor, which is why I want to recommend to you another resource called The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. It's available on our website as well at transform.org. In the book, Sandy writes, peacemakers are not passive avoiders of conflict, but active reconcilers of people and ideas. Well, as the guy that used to disciple me would say, that's good. Now, if you're ready to take the next step in becoming a peacemaker, just check out transform.org and you can pick up this resource and others that'll help you get your journey to becoming a biblical counselor off the ground. Now, finally, before we get back to Dr. Gifford, also want to let you know that if you have something you're struggling with and you want Dr. Gifford to address it on this podcast right here, well, we want to help. We want to give you that opportunity. You can shoot Greg an email at greg at transform.org and he might very well answer your questions on a future episode of Transform. Now, without further ado, let's quit hearing from me and get back to Dr. Greg Gifford here on Transformed. Welcome back to Transform. The Bible would tell us that OCD is not a disorder. It is the fruit of wrong believing and wrong theology. And now your host, Dr. Greg Gifford. Welcome back. We've been talking through the last character trait of a man is hardworking. Men are not called to be lazy or idle. Men are not called to in any way shirk their responsibilities of working hard so that they have to share with others. And a broader principle that all Christians must see is Colossians 3.23, which I'm confident you're moderately familiar with at least, which is that whatever you're doing, you're going to work heartily as unto the Lord. I know that's not particular to men. I know that women are also called to work heartily, to work as unto the Lord, to do things with excellence for the Lord. But I would say that the work ethic that a man possesses is one of excellence. 
And while he is at work, while he is dedicated to his craft, we will see that he is pursuing that with excellence as an act of worship. So our desire as men is to, first of all, be godly men, which is why we work hard. Some of you as men work for employers that don't appreciate you. Some of you work for employers that don't compensate you what you're worth. Some of you feel like you're just a number in this grand scheme of numbers at your employer. I understand that. And the times I've worked in those environments, I haven't resonated with that. I don't particularly love that, to be honest. But we do recognize that the reason why we work hard is not because of our employer first. Next, it's not because of our family first, as much as we love our families and want to ensure that they're cared for. If I'm a single man caring for my parents and my siblings, my nieces and nephews, if I'm a married man caring for my wife, if I'm a married man with children caring for my kids, if I'm a single man with children caring for my kids, whatever that looks like, our family is not our number one priority when we work hard. We work hard as unto the Lord. We want God to be pleased in our hard work. So why is it that we're hardworking men It's not to be appreciated by our employers. That's a benefit. Our hard work is an act of worship to God. We want him to be pleased. So we work hard and our families benefit from that. But our primary goal is to be pleasing unto the Lord. Godly men who work hard as an act of worship to God. So I want to finish our time with just some practical thoughts. Because when we hear working hard, I don't want that to be the equivalent of 80 hours every week. You see, in North America, most of us are going to have somewhat of a 40-hour work week mentality. Honestly, 40 hours is nothing for some of us. We would love to only have a 40-hour work week. What does that look like? For others of us, we feel tapped out at 40 hours. But broadly speaking, that is a cultural expectation of work. I would like you to zoom out a bit further and see that work is not just that you are at your job earning a wage. That is part of your work. But we do have work that is non-remunerative. You're not getting paid for it. Uh, So, for instance, think of the man that earned this sweet pension package and he retired at 55. There's a very high likelihood he has another 30 years of life. That's another career. What is he going to do post-reception of that sweet pension package? Well, ideally, he's going to work in a way that may not be paid, but he's still going to work hard. He's going to serve at his local church and use his gifts to bless his local church. I was at a church in Central California last year. I met their groundskeeper, and he was a retired electrician or journeyman, something like that. And he didn't need the money, but now he worked in a volunteer capacity to serve his local church. And I was so impressed by that. There are times where as a man, you are not paid, but yet you are still equally working and working hard. Now, gentlemen, ladies connected to the gentlemen, can I tell you the number one killer of a hard work ethic? It is going to be poor technology habits and a love of comfort that gravitates to frittering your time away. Gentlemen, if we could have every hour back that we have spent watching ridiculous television shows, we would be able to be much more diligent in different capacities the Lord has entrusted to us. Some of us are staying up late watching shows that are just absolutely 
unhelpful to our personal life or sanctification, and then we show up for work exhausted the next day. Gentlemen, we have to ensure that our hobbies do not dominate our life, particularly those technological hobbies. Next, I would say ensure that we are learning this principle. This is what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3. How do we practically implement this? We learn to earn it ourselves. One of the great hindrances of growing up in an affluent family is that in the back of our mind as a man, we can begin to think, well, maybe mom and dad will bail me out on this one. Maybe I can call mom or dad and they'll Venmo me some money and we'll just take care of that bill. That mindset of having a safety net in our parents can actually be crippling to us to be hard workers. You need to eat your own bread. You need to earn your own way as a man. If your parents are your safety net, that mindset can cripple you. Parents, you have to hear that, and sometimes we have a good heart for our boys, but if they don't learn how to work hard, we're impairing them for a lifetime. We're also creating an unrealistic expectation that we can continue to bail them out. Some of these young men need to learn to go work hard, to grind for a little bit, to eat beanie weenies. You guys know those beanie weenies, little sausages in a can. Go eat some ramen noodles for a little bit. You guys need to go grind and you need to learn how to work hard. And yes, we have the money to help you, but you need to earn this yourself. We also, as men, are not looking to the United States government to be our provider. If the government has some type of program that blesses us, hey, I raise a hallelujah. We thank you for it. However, I am not looking to the government to provide for me. I must be a man who works. So if I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm waiting on my unemployment to come in and that's why I don't really have anything going right now. Hey, look, unemployment is a wonderful blessing and I should pursue it, but I am called to work. And if the provisions of the house are not being met, it's not the government's fault. I have to work. This principle of earning it yourself, eating your own bread, as Paul says, is where there's no safety net. It's up to us. And we feel this unction and compulsion to be active and to be pursuing diligent forms of work. Help us to find ways to work. And I'll be honest with you, this was not the highlight career position of my life. But when I got out of the military, I was looking for a position, any position to help me provide for my wife and then my oldest son. And I went to a temp agency and for three weeks stacked car invoice papers at a local car dealership. Let me tell you that that put the humble and humble Uh, That took any level of, yes, I'm a United States Army captain, and I protected this nation. Uh, The car dealership didn't care. They just told me to alphabetize by this VIN number and last name. And, And honestly, that was such a great experience for my soul because I was there to work and to work hard to earn money for my family. And the dignity of that job was at an all time low. But the dignity of providing for my family was what I was pursuing. So men, sometimes we don't enjoy it, but we have to feel that compulsion that it is up to us to earn it. We have to earn it for ourselves. So I would say that creates this last principle of how, well, as a man, we're never going to look to our wife and say, hey, babe, like electric bill this month, Uh, you're working, I'm working, we don't have money, I need you to go get an additional job, and I am not going to get an additional job. As a man, we feel a compulsion to care for others especially women. 
and to care for them in a way that corresponds to our relationship. That's why we're honoring them in an appropriate way, not weird way. But in the end, as a man, I feel a responsibility to care for my parents. I feel a responsibility to care for my wife, for my kids. And that is good and right. And we should cultivate that onus and that burden. Remember, if there is a financial shortfall this month, the husband is the one that should say, I will try to get some extra hours. Men, here is the principle. God has not called us to be millionaires. In fact, being a millionaire can be very dangerous for your soul. God has called us to work hard. And when we do not work hard, we are being unmanly. There is something shameful about us being lazy. And when we experience that shame, there's no legitimizing our laziness. There's no justifying it. We need to see that God maybe has changed the way we work, but we can still work. I pray that God would use us to help cultivate a generation of men that say, you know what, I'm not going to be a workaholic, but I am going to work hard. So let me pray for you. Let me pray for the men that are around you. I hope that you would use this series to begin to distill down, to teach men in your ministries, to teach your boys, to teach college students. What does it look like to be a man? How can we actively pursue this for the glory of God, for the good of women, and for the good of those that are around us? So let me pray that God would use this to help that happen. Lord, we don't want to be hyper-masculinized men. Uh, We don't want to be men that are grunting and rude and harsh. Uh, We don't want to be men that are calloused. We want to be men that are like your son, Jesus. He is the the ultimate man. Uh, He was not married. He was a single man. Uh, He did not have kids. So we know that even being a dad and a husband does not make us more of a man. But help us to actively know what it means to be a man and to pursue that. May we feel shame and may we feel guilt when we're acting in unmanly ways because you've called us to something better. And when we serve in that way, Lord, may there not only be great dignity for ourselves, but may there be great glory for you and great good for the women that are around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 